Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr. I'm joined with Guile. Hi, this is Guile. I'm Guile in Subterfuge on Tumblr. And Chicky. Hey, I'm Chicky. I am Chikrin on Tumblr. And we have YD back with us. <laughs> Hi, this is YD. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And our returning guest is Glam. Hi, this is Glam. And you can find me at Glamophonic on Tumblr. Awesome. Woo-hoo. Okay, and we are covering Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 7. Uh, I can't remember the title of this one. Just kidding. Are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm totally joking. Love's joke files. I, I didn't even have like a convincing tone whatsoever. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Anyway, uh, spoilers. So, books and show. Out. What's that? said you're out of fandom if you don't know the title. I know, right? Instant ejection. Okay, yeah. Uh, Spoilers, books and show. Um, And as always, potential for rape discussion. So trigger warning there. All right, let's start off with this episode. And we're looking at the wildlings. They're over the wall and about a week away from Castle Black. Ygritte teases John about how Southern warfare is conducted and promises him that Castle Black will never know they're coming. And she gets in a you-know-nothing and then continues her walk. Orel tells John he'll never hold on to her. So, I don't know, just this whole episode was kind of just heavy on the development of John and your grit. Yeah, it kind of was, but is it just me or did John and Orel have crazy sexual chemistry? <laughs> just me? You, not me. Just you. Okay. It just seemed a little Jamie and Brienne-esque there for a minute. I was like, yes, get right up in his face, Orel. Now kiss. I did love, he had a great little smirk on his face as he was walking away from John. Like, he was so pleased with himself, which actually, to be fair, is very Jamie and Brienne of him. Hmm. I think you have a point. <laughs> I think you were... I think you were just bored because all the Jamie and Brienne's at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. I personally think that I've just launched like a few thousand uh, John and Arell fans. A few Jor-El. thousand. Jor-El. 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 <laughs> well, I have I have no words for that one. <laughs> I think we're gonna move on. <laughs> the new crossing swords. <laughs> I will not be on that one. All right. Uh, Rob's men are delayed by the rain. Catelyn is concerned about how Walder Frey will take their lateness. And uh, she calls him prickly by nature. Um, and then Blackfish gets, like, one of the best lines ever. He says, uh, I've seen wet shits I like better than Walder Frey. Um, God, I love Blackfish. That's such a good line. <laughs> Uh, they all leave Rob's tent. It's a wet shit. Oh. That's like diarrhea. Well, yeah, I was going to say, as opposed to a dry shit. <laughs> Why are we discussing this? Because Guile asked. Damn it, Guile. Get out. I have a small child. I, talking about sh- different kind of poops is like nothing. That's like 90% of your daily like, activity. Pretty much. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they all uh, they all leave the tent, um, leaving Rob and Talisa alone, and then we get kind of a steamy sex scene. Um, well, the tail end of it is kind of a steamy sex scene, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, Talisa writes a letter to her mother while Rob sits at his war maps, too distracted by her nakedness. Uh, she casually mentions that she's pregnant, and then Rob tells her that he loves her. They kiss and roll back into bed. So, if you listen to the, um, the after the episode extras, so they're in time. Um, they're not. They're not the DVD commentary, but they're made in time during the season. D and D are such trolls about this. They go on and on about how this is a rebirth of Rob's plot and story, and his <laughs> campaigns. I have a good oh, feeling about this. Evil. <laughs> you know oh. what's also funny is in the commentary. So the commentary for this episode was done uh, by Michelle McLaren, who was the director of the episode, and George, who obviously, uh, is the writer of the books, but also he wrote this episode, or some of it. Uh, and when they get to the sex scene, uh, they both go silent for a second. And then I started to think, like, what is it like to watch a full-on sex scene with George R. R. Martin? I was feeling a little <laughs> sorry for Michelle McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> they're not in the same room or anything. I know. Thankfully, they're not in the same room. That would be super awkward. No, no. George insisted. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, actually, because George, after they start talking again, George actually asked Michelle in a really casual voice, so what sort of precautions do you have to take when both your actors are naked? And at first I was like, what, like condoms? <laughs> But then he sort of qualified it with, like, you know, do you have a close set? <laughs> I was like, sure, George, that's why you want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Awesome. Yeah, I never thought about that. That would be awkward. <sighs> All right, let's go on to the wildlings again. Lots of wildling scenes in this one. Um, Tormon is giving John some sex advice. And, like, uh... <laughs> 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 I'm going to say, like... I agree with that, uh, sex advice. It's good advice. <laughs> well, because, what does he say to him? He's like telling him. <laughs> what was it again? I can't remember. I don't have it written he down. Says, then go inside, but slowly. Don't jab it in like you're spearing a pig. And look, well, I'm no, first not you guys, but sometimes you want a bit of spearing. I mean, Torben can spear me anytime. <laughs> No, but first he says you have to make sure to get her slippery oh, as a seal, as a baby seal, I believe. <laughs> That's the one. Thank I like God him. I didn't have to say it. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> I like the imagery. Look, Tormund can do that in my book. <laughs> or I'll admit. I mean, I think this is peak Tormund, too, right? I, I mean, yeah, he's like my favorite book, Tormund. Aww. Aurel admits to Ygritte he's jealous, tells her she should be with one of their own. And then he tells her that she's beautiful. Uh, he mocks her for liking John because he's pretty. Eh. Like, Wild men does this... have a big thing for John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, why does this need to be a love triangle? I I don't feel like this was necessary. Like, it just is like gumming things up yeah. to me. I'm just like, just like it doesn't really bother me that much. I mean, it's not like it really developed into anything. They didn't really spend much time on it at all, so I don't mind. But honestly, I just think that Arel has more sexual chemistry with John. Sorry. Yeah, I think they want to establish oh that, you know, John really loves her. Like, he's not just playing a part, and she really loves him, so 
just to make it more tragic when he screws yeah, her over. Yeah, and the best idea they could come up with is a love triangle with Aurel. Oh. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of the weaker things about this whole episode. So, I was like, what is this? So you're saying he doesn't have a chance? I think he, <laughs> I think he could make it work. Oh god. I mean, he can get into like an eagle. Isn't that one of those wonder twin things? Oh god. <laughs> what? Oh. Uh, well, I think George agrees with you, Chicky, because in the commentary he he made it very clear that at this stage in the book, Sorel is actually dead. Uh, so <laughs> 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 and that's essentially what George does for the rest of the episode. I think 95% of what he says in this commentary is, well, it's different in the books. Uh, mm-hmm. You gotta yeah. love it when he gets his little digs in like that. Like he does it quite well, a bit, right? There are a couple of good ones in this commentary, actually. <laughs> Did you guys it. ever see the, uh, there was a YouTube video and someone, uh, put together every time he says, well, in the books, in all of the audio. <laughs> oh my God. And it was like three hours long. <laughs> it went on for a good long while. <laughs> That's great. I'll look that one up. All right. I think you need a video of someone trying to read the books, and then there's like someone like sitting over their shoulder. Well, in the show, in the show, in the show. <laughs> I could think of many people who would do that. <laughs> Are you saying I would? <laughs> Basically, Guile. Guile would do that. Just Guile. All right. Uh, next scene is Sansa and Marjorie. Sansa is near tears as she calls herself a stupid little girl with stupid dreams. Uh, Marjorie talks to Sansa and takes her on a walk through the gardens, tries to comfort her, tells her a woman in their situation must try to make the best of it. Marjorie doesn't think Ty- uh, Tyrion is that bad, says uh, he may surprise her. He is an ex. She's heard he's an expert. And then Sansa asks how Marjorie knows so much. Did your mother teach you? And she gives us <laughs> this sly little sure, sure, yeah, yeah. That's that's it. <laughs> there seems to be a lot of uh, sex advice going on in this episode. Yeah, this, this whole episode is like sex advice from all the time. Tormund and Marjorie. So really, so Ned and Catelyn never had a talk. Have never had the talk with any of their kids, did they? Of course, not. clearly not. It wasn't done in those days. In those days, they just took them out to the horse barn and let them watch. (laughs) (laughs) That's how John learned to do that thing with his tongue, the horse barn. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know horses did that. Who gets better sex advice, Tormund or Marge? Tormund. Marjorie was was not very specific, but she was just trying to like... Marjorie's sex advice is basically like, well, you know, you gotta deal with it. I mean, you bet. got Tyrion. I'd hit it. Whatever. Yeah, she seemed like a bit of Tyrion fangirl, actually. Like, I'd hit it. Whatever. Don't you reckon she was, she was a bit of a Tyrion fangirl? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, he's pretty good looking, uh, unlike Tyrion. I think she's and, curious. Uh, yeah, for sure. There's some curiosity there. Like I think she would. I think Glam's right. Give it a whirl. I feel like Tyrion and Marge would have a great time together. <laughs> Giles just started writing a new fic. Uh, the fic no, episode is next week. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> feel free to send I mean, in uh, questions. Marge and anyone? Maybe other like Marge and Jamie would have a terrible time, but Marge and Tyrion would be fine. Suddenly, we just get an anon comment to our Tumblr. Don't you think Tyrion and Marge would make a good ship in fic? <laughs> <laughs> 
love Enon, aka Guile. This Guile. is like peak Tarman, peak Marge. It's great. You know who else? There, there, I, I read no little bit of fic with Tyrion and Marjorie in it, so. You've read little it's bit? It's already a thing. Oh. I, it, it's happening in fic a lot. See, when you pair up Jamie and Brienne, and yeah. got Brienne as Marge's best friend, you need to pair Marge up with Jamie's brother, right? I mean, it makes sense. And then Chicky is just like screaming inside her head right now, fic episode is next week! <laughs> 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 well, I'm not on that, so <laughs> it's like I'm gonna take it her ideas right now, damn it. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Alright, let's go on to uh Tyrion and Braun's scene. Um Braun doesn't see Tyrion's problem with uh marrying Sansa. Um he says, Wed one, bed the other. You'll have two women and a whole kingdom. And Tyrion adds, Two women who despise me in a kingdom to join him them. Um, Bronn tells Tyrion he thinks he wants to uh, fuck that Stark girl and uh, Tyrion says I don't pay you to put evil notions in my head. It's not in his head. (laughs) (laughs) It's in his little head. (laughs) Speaking of love triangles, what is George doing? Like, did he get directed to write all of the errors? Or like, is this his decision? Like, Some of them aren't his scenes, and he made a specific point of saying that uh, some of the scenes were moved around. He didn't mention anything in relation to these ones. Um, But yes, there is a scene later on that he made a very distinct point of saying he did not write this. David and Dan wrote it. (laughs) I think that this scene, though, is a little bit of a nod to canon in a way, to be, you know, to be fair, just in that you know, Tyrion clearly did want to have sex with Sansa. Yeah, the only thing I kind of thought that too, but the thing is, it was Bronn that suggested it. It's I thought I felt like it took it away from Tyrion. I was like that. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like they kind of backed off of the fact that yes, in the books, it's very obvious that Tyrion does want to have sex with her, and they I mean, kind of tried to soften on the show. Yeah, maybe like, a little softening, but little it's fairly bit. evident that yes, he does want to hear that. You think it's a, is, you think it's obvious? Like show tearing well, is think, obvious. I think softening is the right word. I think that it was softened. You're right. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what they've been trying to do with Tyrion the entire run of yeah. the series. They've been trying to make him far less grey and far more white knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I think, think it's obvious that they. You know, I think they soften this a bit too much in the whole marriage. Really, I mean, he's you know climbing on her naked. Mm, yeah. It's not all noble. You see, and that would have been way more interesting. That would have been way more interesting. It is more interesting. I mean, that's the issue when they start taking away the layers and start making them either heroes or villains. They do lose a lot of their complexity and a lot of, a lot of, uh, how interesting they are, I guess. But, oh, well, that, you know, that's a repeated issue I've had with this, with the show adaptation. And that's the whole fun of the series, for me anyway, is like, you're liking a character and then they do something really fucked up and you're like, no, why do I like you? Oh, do I like you? I think I still like you, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's the fun. Okay. Anyone want to add anything about this one? It was a short scene. Or go on. I think, I think that's a go on. Okay. Um, Tywin enters the throne room in grand style as per usual. He's been summoned by Joffrey who wants to know why the small council meetings are being held in the Tower of the Hand. Tywin basically tells Joffrey he wants to work from home and he's welcome. (laughs) He's welcome to come to any meetings. Uh, Joffrey says, I want to attend, uh, 
Joffrey says, so if I want to attend, I have to climb all those stairs to the Tower of the Hand. And then Tywin suggests that, you know, perhaps we can have you carried there. Joffrey asks about <laughs> Daenerys and if they should do something about her. Uh, Tywin tells Joffrey the last dragon skulls were the size of an apple. Joffrey wants to know how they can be sure Daenerys' dragons are not threats. Um, he hasn't been counseled. Tywin tells him you're being counseled right now and he'll be consulted on important matters when necessary. Then he drops the mic and leaves. Dude, this scene is perfection. Charles <laughs> Dance, dear God. Like, right? how good is he? Just without saying anything, when he's walking the length of the throne room initially, he's just so imposing. Like, he just does so much with his face and with his posture. Oh, God. So good. <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think, great. Comma, I think I'm developing wrong. a child's dance crush. <laughs> Comma would be so proud. I bet she loves the boots, the scene. isn't it? Oh, it's a great scene, though. Oh, um, the decision, I think they said in the commentary they'd made this decision in the, when they were doing the blocking about, uh, the camera work when he's climbing the stairs to the throne. Um, oh, it just all really came together. Just, it's a huge power, power play by Tywin. Um, and it really comes across and it's fantastic. Yeah, the camera angles, like, cause when you're looking at it, it's, it, it's pretty literal, right? Like, you know, Joffrey's above him in the throne and then as he climbs those stairs and then you get that camera angle where it's like Tywin looking down at Joffrey. Yeah, it is really well. Everything about it was so well thought out. I thought it played yeah. really well, that scene too. Hilariously, the only thing that George has to say in the commentary is, the Iron Throne is bigger in the books. Well, this could be done in the books with him climbing up the stairs to the Iron Throne because the Iron Throne is so much bigger. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> I will say the scene is great, except that Tywin is like 100% wrong in everything that he's doing. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not counseling Joff, he's just telling him. I mean, if he's gonna counsel him, why is he not saying, yes, we don't know about these dragons yet, but we have to get rid of the immediate threat before we can deal with a faraway threat. That's what we should do. Like, give him something. Well, and frankly, you know, Joff, I hate stairs too. I hear you, Joff. Like, I'd be like, that's that. It isn't that I'm taking the elevator. Isn't the point that Tywin's just totally disregarding Joffrey and doesn't think that he needs to know any information? This is, this is Tywin taking control. But is that really Tywin? I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, if you could, to me, this scene works brilliantly if you would believe that Tywin was in on murdering Joffrey. Oh. I I think this was fuel on the fire for that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it should be, because, I mean, look at how he acted (laughs) towards Tommen. He actually tried to help Tommen. Yeah. Here he's just kind of like washing his hands of Joffrey. Yeah, as how could you not love solution? Could you not? Oh, I know. How could you not hate Joffrey? Exactly. Right, but is that a, you know, this isn't a permanent, uh, treating Joffrey like this isn't a permanent solution. No. Unless you're gonna kill him. That's a permanent solution. God, I sound like... No, but you're right, Gail. I mean, you have to imagine that that Tywin would have been reaching that point anyway, books and show, because 
you know, Joffrey was cowed initially by Tywin, but you knew that that wasn't going to last for long, and eventually <laughs> they were going to have a showdown, and I think Tywin must have known that. Mm-hmm. I think so. Tywin held out for as long as he could. I mean, I feel like if I knew Joffrey, I'd probably want to kill him after about five minutes in his presence. Mm-hmm. Tywin, well, I mean, it's the perfect solution. You have the younger, sweeter Joffrey that, you know, is manageable, and you get completely free reign for a few years before he comes of age. Did you say sweeter, Joffrey? Well, you know, Tommen is the younger, sweeter Joffrey. Tommen's the younger, the kinder, gentler Joffrey. That's saying it's mild. The same younger, mildly. more beautiful king. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. Joffrey just made some kittens. That'll sort him out. Yeah, the um, gut. The um, yeah, that's Joffrey. not a good idea. <laughs> In the books, did he cut the kittens open? Yes. Yes. Oh, them. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, don't send him kittens, Whitey. Bad idea. Oh, God, I better... Better reroute the package. <laughs> okay, let's go on to the next scene. It's a Daenerys scene. She's arriving outside Yunkai. Uh, Jorah tells her that taking the city will not bring her any closer to the Iron Throne. She asks him how many slaves there are, and he answers 200,000. She says that's 200,000 reasons. Danny tells Grey Worm to send a message. She wants the Yunkai slaves freed. Um... A young Kai lord named Razdel Moaraz, who I will now be calling Razzy, <laughs> carries, <Razzie and Razzie. laughs> carries out, is, gets carried out in a litter to, um, speak with her. Uh, he tells her he will find, she will find no easy victory at Yunkai. Danny feeds her dragons and rolls her eyes as he speaks of her savageries in Astapor. He offers her gifts from the, Forgiving young Kai E, two chests of gold and a ship, as many, um, as much as, as many ships as she wants. They just want her to leave. Danny offers him a gift, his life. In return, she wants all the slaves. Um, he, she says, reject this gift and they will have no mercy. Razzie gets huffy and threatens Danny. Um, he mentions they have powerful friends. Her dragons do not take kindly to this. Um, he, orders his slaves to take back the gold, and they are too afraid of the dragons. Razzy storms out of Danny's tent, leaving the gold behind. Danny asks Jorah to find out who these powerful friends are. Oh god, everything in this season with Danny is just kind of like a slow slide downhill from the like initial Dracaris scene. <laughs> This is, I don't know, I don't love this. I mean, like, I get what they're trying to do and how they're trying to show Danny is really tough, but I feel like it was so overly staged, it just makes it look like she's trying too hard. Like, I'm not really sure even what they were trying to achieve, like, with her character with this. I think there's well, I mean, a contrast plot-wise, between I get this it. And, the, and the prior scene. So you have, you know, you have Tywin sort of understanding the placement and the presentation and how he's towering over Joffrey. And then you have Danny also understanding it and kind of setting this tableau for someone to come in, even down to like giving him a little chair so he's clearly below her and stuff. So I think some of it is just that. Yeah, yeah but that's what I mean about the trying too hard. I just feel like they were trying too hard. Oh, she's totally trying too hard. Yeah, and it, it, it I feel like it kind of takes away from her character almost. I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't. I don't know, it's weird. It's like they weren't really sure what they were going to do with her as far as, like, where she was at internally, like, for the second half of the season, it feels like to me. Oh, I think, I think she, I think she as a character is trying too hard. Like, I think that's part of the point. Isn't that her, is her age still, showing through yeah, but a little yeah, why she's would unsure. she be at this point? I mean, like, well, I feel like, like coming up. For off- example, 
she doesn't know who you know she doesn't have any idea who their fr- who their strong friends are it's you know she is kind of bluffing no i get that <laughs> just don't like i just don't really understand why they're doing it i get it i just don't oh, like, like it. you I, want her to be more assured at this point in her plot i feel like she should almost be so assured that she's making really like rash and, and terrible decisions or something like that 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 you know like she's overconfident but instead she almost seems even less confident after this huge victory it just doesn't really fit to me hmm. okay the eye roll was good i like the eye roll <laughs> I like that she's feeding filet mignon to, like, the dragons. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're done with this scene. <laughs> <laughs> this always happens when we talk about daddy. <laughs> we can only be so passionate for so long about Danny. Oh. We tried. This is, this is us trying. Let's go on. <laughs> so Tyrion and Shay. Uh, he gives her a gift of golden chains smithed at Casterly Rock. She asks if she's invited to the wedding. She's upset about his betrothal to Sansa. She suggests that they go across the narrow sea. He tells her he can't, that she will be well provided for, as will her children. She doesn't want children that will only be killed in their sleep by their grandfather. Shay tells him she is his whore, and when he's bored of her, she will be nothing. No shit, Shay. Yeah, I mean, this is just a continuation of the, yeah, show the funny whore. This is just a continuation of the vast differences between show Shay and book Shay. And, well, and I mean, no shit, Shay, Shay, you are literally a whore. Well, book Shay would love this situation. I mean, book Shay, yeah. uh, didn't love Tyrion at all. He was just, uh, a guy that would provide her with, you know, gold and jewels and whatnot. But obviously, they've deviated hugely from the books and made her into someone who really loves Tyrion, which, you know, we all have issues with, considering how they, how the relationship turned out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, I know she's in a shitty situation and she's angry, but... What was she expecting when she signed up for this? You know, did she think that Tyrion would marry her and they lived happily ever after? I mean, I don't know. Apparently she wants to run away across the narrow sea. Yeah. Except later when she doesn't. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah. It's very inconsistent in in certain parts, you're right, girl. Yeah. And, you know, as as George says in the commentary, Shay's in the books. books. (laughs) (laughs) She's different in the books. (laughs) She's a little different in the books that I wrote. He's actually pretty hard on the differences between book Shay and well, this show. Yeah, he was actually oh, he's on record as saying he loves show Shay. Yeah, he, he actually is better in this. He does love Harry. He does love Sibel. Yeah, he did say that he loves Sibel, and he, I think he said he was initially quite wary of of the massive change in her character, but he really loves Sibel, and he loves what he she's done with Shay. So mm-hmm. yes, I think. He's not as critical <laughs> now. I so mean, maybe. I would have liked it better than Bookshay too if they had actually made her consistent, right? Instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. writing her as a completely different character up to a point and then just kind of forcing her that. to the exact same right. sort of yeah. conclusion. Anyway, even when it no longer made any sense at all. Well, that's the issue. Yeah, at this point. I, that's kind of the shame. I, they I, were I, on their way to something really interesting, and yet they just dropped it when they really yeah. could have gotten into some interesting territory, they they went yeah, into this weirdly shade, you know, place from the books. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like, yeah, she actually loved Tyrion. She was very attached to Sansa, too. And, right. Know, 
oh well, let's forget that ever happened. Let's just forget this ever happened. That's why we keep going. That's how we live. That's how we survive. Okay, uh, next scene is Melisandre and Gendry as they sail over the broken ships in Blackwater Bay. See, Gendry really does spend an inordinate time on boats, I've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's a short scene. Basically, she tells him that he's the son of Robert Baratheon and that there is power in King's blood, which is the whole point of the scene, to say that line. I feel like like there's some really cool continuity here with them showing kind of the, the fallout from the Battle of the Blackwater and... And this is one of those moments where they kind of pulled quite a few things together, and I really appreciated it. And, and you know, like, the way that they set this up, I feel like this is kind of a Gendry POV scene. I mean, you really get the feeling that this is Gendry learning about himself, which is kind of something new. I don't think he's had many really Gendry, Gendry scenes in the show. I definitely um, say this is a Gendry point of view. Yeah. And I, I kind of really like that. I mean, obviously, I'm a Gendry fan, so I mean, I, I really, really kind of enjoy it. And I think Carice is so good here. I feel like there's a lot of really subtle stuff going on you can see in in her face and how she kind of slips and talks about her own origin a little bit. You can tell it's not something she maybe intended to do. And I just kind of love this scene. It's re- it's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do well in this yeah. scene. Great. Okay, uh, next scene we have Arya. Um, she calls Beric and Thoros traitors. Beric tells her... When the one true god commands, they obey. Arya tells them her true god is death. Uh, Aengai, the archer, announces a Lannister party is close. The men are excited to ambush them. Arya is upset because it will delay her return to River Run. Beric tries to reason with her. She gets upset and runs out of the cave, only to be grabbed up by the hound. So how long was the hound just, like, lurking for? Like, just standing out there? How did he know, know where she was going to run? That's, and that's it. I mean, this scene, this scene is a little ridiculous in its entirety. Like, Arya escapes from the cave. She runs for about 30 seconds and then hides behind a tree while they're basically right behind her. They'll never Wasn't find the me hound. now. <laughs> Wasn't the hound kind of stalking the Brotherhood to get his money back, though? Yeah, he must have. Yeah. yeah. But the chick is I mean, she runs almost directly into him. I mean, I don't know. It's a little too convenient. Yeah. That I don't know. And the and Arya Stark, that would be a great prize to get. So I could see him stalking them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I but, think you just wanted money. I don't think you wanted a preteen girl. Oh, oh she's so evil. Just wait until she becomes a teenager. She'd be all like, I hate you, Dad. Like, the- You're not my real dad. No, imagine. <laughs> You're so short-sighted. Imagine the reward. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a good buzz. <laughs> it's, I, okay. <laughs> Go to Aranol. <laughs> At Heron Hall, Jamie visits Brienne. He tells her she's to stay and Lord Bolin has a wedding to attend. He mentions he owes her a debt and Brienne reminds him of his promise to Catelyn Stark to return her daughters. Jamie swears he will. Brienne nods and says goodbye, Sir Jamie. So, oh my god, those like mopey, teary-eyed, sad faces. The fucking Adam's apple bobbing. Like, this destroys me. Insane, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like Jamie's face. He's this scene. Oh, it's Jamie's so face. sad. Oh, God. He has like a little watery eyes. He wants to say something, but he can't speak. And so he just kind of nods and walks away. Like he's about to burst into tears. It's great. 
They're both yeah. so great. I mean, so I love that she is so stoic, or she's trying mm-hmm. to be so stoic. Um, like both of them are really a little bit, you know, concealed, don't feel, but she does a slightly <laughs> better job of it than he does. Yeah, he's almost pleading with her at this point yeah. to like, just tell me you yeah. want me to save you. Just tell me that's, that's what you yes. want. Yeah, he's yes. like, why would I you you were dead? Just, just tell me. Just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Because yeah, he, he literally just comes in there to be like, just ask me to save you. Like, just ask me to save you. And she's like, no, just keep your promise. And then he's face when she essentially tells him she believes in him, you know, she'll believe she believes that he's gonna keep his promise to return the the girls to Catelyn and oh, these two stupid babies. Yeah. Like they have so much uh, faith in each other. It's just and, like when Jamie entrusts Brienne with Oathkeeper, you know, they both believe in each other so much. Oh well fuck now I'm all emotional. <laughs> and how long has it been since Jamie has had anyone believe in him? Like Never? It's Was like it, oh Tyrion believes in them. Tyrion, yeah, he did. He's true. Tyrion always uh, sort of relied on his big brother to come along and say. I mean, him. some random Tyrion doesn't count. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want to How many random people believe in any of us? Like, <laughs> I like, isn't like this isn't something that people get, you know, all the time or ever. This is like, you know, this you is don't? a once in a lifetime, one in a million thing. <laughs> okay, so. Commentary. George didn't write this scene, um, but <laughs> I've got to say he clearly loves it because yeah. he could not stop gushing about Gwen and Nick and how they have this amazing chemistry and how they both should have gotten Emmys for their work in season Aww. three. And Michelle, my God, like she should be on this podcast because she's <laughs> a fangirl. And can we, can I read out the little thing that she says in this scene for the yeah, one listener who hasn't heard this commentary? Yeah. For our one. Sure. All right. She says, we wanted to plant a little seed here. For the first time, she addresses him as Sir Jamie and that doesn't go unnoticed. And I think what we're trying to do is put a tiny spark between the two. Whether it's romantic or not, we don't know yet, but there's some caring. She saved his life, and what they've gone through now has taken it to another stage, from being enemies to being friends to being lovers. No, I put that bit in. Um, <laughs> to being friends to being potentially more, a.k.a. lovers. <laughs> three, it's been three fucking years. What I know. When is it going to bloom? <laughs> The seeds have been planted long enough. <laughs> I need some sprouts. <laughs> it needs some watering. Feed this yeah. seed to grow upwards. Wait. <laughs> Fertilizer. We can get some of those wet shits. <laughs> the seed grow before the fertilizer? Sorry. Sorry. I don't know. I think we should mention for those for those who weren't in fandom at the time. When we got the season three DVDs and we first heard this commentary, you guys, you have no fucking idea because we weren't sure if it was just the crazy chemistry between Gwen and Nick that we were seeing or if there was really intentional direction behind some of these scenes. And this was, this commentary was just like, ah, the angels singing. (laughs) (laughs) That we needed, that there actually was something thought into, into Jamie. It was intent. Something in the works. Intent. 
Yes, yeah. there was something in the works, which were obviously was then further confirmed when we got into season four, and we got season four, episode four. Um, yeah, and then, and then the commentary for that was even more. The commentary for that was even more ridiculous too. By the way, <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> she just she just went like full thing. I was like, oh, I just love it so much. She was like two seconds from being like, I ship it so much. If you're a fairly recent convert to this podcast, uh, you may want to actually go back to when we were covering season four and listen to how we dealt with covering that particular thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was an abysmal failure on our part. So. It worked out. It was more just squealing for 10 minutes. <laughs> just like high pitched and audible gasping. Dogs could hear it is what you're yeah, saying. Pretty much. <laughs> really enjoy- uh, we're selling okay, it. So we're selling I have it. to be, I have to be me and get kicked out of fandom a little bit. I have always, speaking Again. of internal consistency, <laughs> had a little bit of an issue with the way that Nikolai plays this, and clearly it is somewhat how he was directed to play it. But he plays Jamie as so unbelievably forlorn and lovesick in this scene that it's almost incongruous with the Jamie that we see later on back in King's Landing and stuff, and it. I don't know. It's a little bit tough for me to, I, I guess, kind of um, make make this scene work with some of the things that we see with Jamie, say with with Cersei and so on later on. Um, um, I don't know if if they're they they intended one thing and then kind of maybe shifted a little bit and decided to keep Jamie and Cersei going much longer than they intended to. At this point, I'm not really sure what happened, but I do find this to be a little bit. Uh, uh, of an issue with internal consistency for me. I, mm. do, I do kind of have a lot of I don't actually have a huge love issue. Puppy. I don't have a huge issue reconciling the Jamie in this scene with the way he behaves when he goes back to, to King's Landing and Cersei. Um, I know it's obviously not really reflective of book Jamie at this stage, um, but I feel like, I mean, obviously as shippers we read a lot into this scene, and yes, he is, he is very emotional. Um, and yes, partially I think it's because he is at least subconsciously developing some feelings for Brienne, but obviously he's also very touched by the fact that she calls him Sir Jamie and she's showing that she trusts him and that she believes in him and she believes that he's a true knight. So it's sort of mixed in with that as well. I don't think it's like an overt kind of declaration of love for Brienne, but obviously those feelings, yes, I think there are some feelings stirring, obviously, as Michelle says, a little seed, a tiny spark. But I don't, I don't have an issue reconciling that with, with Jamie and Cersei later on in the season. I do. It's a, it's an issue for me. I think they went too far at this moment. I think they went too far, JB. Yeah, get out. Yeah, Guile, you're gonna add something? (laughs) I was just gonna say, I think part of it is that away from King's Landing, she is kind of his shelter in the storm a bit, and he's very attached to her. Whereas once he's back in King's Landing, he's kind of in a more familiar place, and I think he kind of backslides and reverts a bit to who he was before. Old habits die hard. Or never. Or never. Mm. You can always blame the fever, too. <laughs> he's, he's all feverish yes. and overly yes. emotional. <laughs> sure, let's see. There was something, there was just something in his eye. Come on. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, we see Kyburn in the next scene. He's heading out with Jamie, hoping to get his chain reinstated. Um, 
Bolton asks Jamie to give his regards to Tywin. Jamie tells Bolton to give Rob Stark a message. The Lannisters send the Lannisters send their regards. Um, Locke comes up to say goodbye as well. He tells Jamie, "Don't worry about your friend. We'll take good care of her." Locke, you dick. Oh no, Locke's gonna have words with you, guy. <laughs> What? This is this is this is some peak lock right here. Some peak lock right. Oh god, <laughs> peak lock combat man. <laughs> next next scene is peak lock. Yeah, so. this is like the pre-peak. Yeah, pre-peak. So gross. <laughs> <laughs> this is a full <laughs> slight chubby lock here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh. Okay, we, uh, we'll go on to the next scene. Theon is, oh my gosh, sorry, I'm just remembering the chubby content. It's Theon scene, oh god. Uh, Theon is untied by two women. They give him water and treat his wounds. They want to see his penis. <laughs> Miranda gets naked and climbs on top. Violet gets naked too. Um, Theon is just starting to enjoy himself when Ramsay's horn blows. Theon attempts to get up and is immediately knocked down. Theon begs for mercy as two men hold him down, and Ramsay brandishes a very scary-looking knife. So, the absolute best part of the commentary of this episode, other than Michelle and George gushing over Jamie and Brienne, uh, is during this scene where Michelle says to George... Uh, George, this is one of your scenes, isn't it? And George immediately replies quite emphatically, Oh, no, 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 no. I had absolutely nothing to do with these Theon scenes. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is 100% David and Dan. Well, except for, like, writing it in the first place that it happened. Yes, but as he says in the commentary, it pretty much happened off page. Um, right. Not like this, I do not think he's pleased with the this. gratuitous nature of this um, at all. Yeah. I what feel like we- this is like one of those devil's bargains mm-hmm. where this was the price we had to pay to get all the JB in this episode. We had to <laughs> sit through this fucking scene. Oh, God. We paid the iron lie. price. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I fast price. forward through this scene every time. I, I never watched yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really watch the, I don't, the, the I, uh, fans generally. In this I scene. just watch it for the boobies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> those girls are dead. Oh, uh, God. I, it, I it, it's it. just so over the top, this scene. I mean, everything's so, we know that Theon is, is gelded in the books, but like, just the sadistic play here, and, you know, it just, it's like, how do they manage to be so disgusting on top of being disgusting? I mean, the, the whole thing is disgusting anyway, but the fact that they so completely sexualized this and... Right, in a scene that's about Theon's penis, we really do see a lot of female full frontal nudity and no male nudity. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's... Which I guess it's just... It's female before. Oh. But it's just hard for me to even believe for... I mean, they try to play it like Theon isn't into it, but he gets to get into it and he's, like, grabbing Miranda at one point. I'm just like... This is not at all believable. Like, how can <laughs> the guy who has spent the last whatever few weeks or months being 
brutally tortured. The fact that he would then, you know, um, get into this kind of thing after only a couple of minutes is beyond yeah. belief to me. He would be absolutely broken by this stage. Yeah, I mean, this to me just looks like some guy's fantasy of, of a torture scene or something, and, and I just, I hate it. I hate yeah. everything about it. It's Gotta have boobs with torture, Chicky. Oh, God. So what if they, okay, this is going to be like a super creepy question, <laughs> and I, but I actually think it's probably more like what happened in the books is what if they had Ramsey like, stimulate him? Well, that, <laughs> I mean, it's not any grosser, but it seems like maybe that, I mean, they kind of hint at some of, like, that. Yeah, there is some sort of sexual, I guess, insinuations. Um, like a very, yeah. I mean, it's an abusive relationship on every it single yes. level. I mean, yeah, I mean, it could be a possibility, yeah. I mean, I can't say I've spent any time thinking about it. Yeah, I don't know if I, I could mean, watch yeah, I don't, that. I, I don't know what uh, sick part of me thought of that, so I apologize. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens. Which game is it? I think, Guile, where it's coming from is it's assumed that, oh, they had to get him erect in order to take off in order penis, to, which I yeah, think yeah, is yeah. not the case. I don't think yeah, he I wouldn't necessarily penis I don't cut off, so, so I, I don't think like he necessarily could. would have needed to be stimulated uh-huh. in order for them to do no. this, if this is yeah. what happened. Guys, I've been say- watching penis amputation videos on YouTube, and you're absolutely right. Oh. No, <laughs> <laughs> then you know it does make the job a little easier. <laughs> Oh, I love I love it when Guile comes up with their creepy questions. I don't know. It's, it's like the first creepy it. question I've ever had. <laughs> sure. And you said it out loud. <laughs> Sorry, Glad. That's my mistake. I, I feel like in terms of like, because you're just torturing him and you want him to still be alive, I feel like having him erect would be worse because like, that'd be like more blood. Oh, more blood, yeah. you're right. I cannot so, I believe mean, how much we are dissecting the scene. <laughs> Particularly you guys not enough, okay? Oh. I would prefer never to d- devote any thought to this whatsoever, All but right. here we are. That's like, here we are. Let's just stop that then. Let's just end it now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, another wildling scene. Uh, Ygritte asks John uh, if an old windmill is a palace. John tells her she'd be swooning if she saw the great keep at Winterfell. He then explains what swooning is, using an example of when a girl sees blood and collapses. She doesn't understand why a girl would faint at the sight of blood. Then she mocks him, falling into his arms, joking about her silk dress. He tells her he'd like to see her in a silk dress so he could tear it off her. And she says, you rip my pretty dress, I'll blacken your eye. This was kind of adorable, all of this. Then they make out. Yeah, yeah I really like this scene. I um, Kid and Rose have such great chemistry, and it really shines through here. Um, you can just tell that the actors are enjoying themselves. They do that banter thing so well. Well, and to me, this scene is proof that this weird Aurel love triangle business is completely unnecessary. This this scene accomplishes everything that you need with these two going into, you know, the end of the season. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, they they do have such amazing chemistry. It's funny how their chemistry just kind of got better as they went along, these two. Yeah, and what's funny is, weren't Kit and Rose a couple in real life at this point? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's that old thing about how, you know, if you're together in real life, then often the chemistry's not there on screen, but it certainly uh, is for these two. 
Maybe they. I, I don't know yet. if they were together. I don't. I don't actually know that they chemistry at this point. But they've yeah. always had good chemistry on screen, anyway. And Rose is. I love Rose. I think she's so good. She's. She does a lot with her face as well. I love all her expressions. She's really funny. Yeah, she's quite talented. Like she has enough charisma for three people. So she does. She kind of needs it with Kit because he doesn't. You know, right. she doesn't yeah, have a lot. <laughs> I noticed he plays really well off her. Like he does yeah. be a lot more emotive in his scenes with her. It's it's nice. He even you know he smiles. His reaction shots are, are more substantial in a way. I I like it a lot. And you know it's just one of those really nice, light, fun scenes, which is something that you do need every now and then in Game of Thrones, particularly following the scene that we just between the penis cutting right. off and the you know oh, bears and the torture <laughs> and the rape yeah i got to say too that whole that whole line she had about you know why the hell would a girl faint at the sight of blood is a pretty <laughs> yeah. good point and i tried to like look it up online cuz i know like the thing of people like fainting at the sight of the blood is they say it's um a survival mechanism that humans have developed like if you're attacked or at war if you faint you get taken for dead so I tried to look up and see if there are women that faint at the sight of blood, and it was mostly men. Uh, no, but huh. hi, you have one on podcast. I <laughs> really? Actually, yeah, it's a funny thing. There is one kind of blood that I can deal with, okay, and it's like even like a cut on my arm. I wow. hope I get woozy. I have I actually passed out in a hospital one time at the sight of blood. It's okay, look. One woman is not a representative. <laughs> <laughs> Lots like, no, my theory. It's okay. No, no, but <laughs> there was like one other person that basically said just what Chicky said, but it seemed to be overwhelmingly male. But yeah, that's cool. No, I have had people completely disbelieve. They're like, how do you survive? And I'm like, I can't tell you why there's a kind of blood that I can deal with and that there are other kinds of blood that I can't, but that is the case. Huh. That's cool. I mean, I, I, it's not cool for you. I'm sorry you have to go through that, but it's, no, actually, it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I should mention just briefly the commentary for this scene between John and Egret. Um, you know, at the beginning of the scene where they're like watching a deer and she's going to shoot the deer. Um, in the commentary, Michelle talks about uh, the deer in the scene and how they used a real deer. Um, and how the deer's trainer actually brought along a donkey so that the deer could have a friend to hang out with while they were shooting. Oh. I thought that was adorable. That is cute. It is. But then, wait a second. It wasn't, it wasn't the deer at the, the same deer at the end of the scene. <laughs> Not the killing part. Not the killing part. <laughs> like, just, they brought his friend and they killed him. <laughs> they killed it live. They made the, the donkey part. watch. <laughs> <laughs> You think this has a happy ending? <laughs> they don't like interspecies relationships, so they make the donkey watch. <laughs> this will learn your donkey. Okay, I'm going on to the next scene. What is oh. wrong with us this episode? I don't know. <laughs> the donkey was just the watcher. <laughs> uh, George went, it wasn't that way in the books. <laughs> it wasn't that way in the books. <laughs> Okay. The deer uh, was actually an antelope with the books. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay. Okay. There's a little bit more to this scene. Um, John tells Ygritte that one day maybe he'll take her to Winterfell. She replies, maybe she'll take him um, when they take their land back. He tells her that they cannot win. 
they will all die. And he says, all of you. And she says, all of us. And then she kisses him to remind him that he is hers and she is his. Oh, that's that's the classic Game of Thrones. I know the nice, fun scene turns all serious and sad. Mm-hmm. If they die, they die. But first, they'll live. They'll live. It's so romantical, Guile. Oh, it is. Make out. Mm. All right. <laughs> Next scene. Uh, Bran, Jojen chat while Osha grumbles to Hodor. She demands Jojen tell her uh, what black magic nonsense he, she's, he's filling Bran's head with. Jojen tells her they need to go beyond the wall. Osha refuses, wants to go to Castle Black. Bran tells Osha about his dreams and says, what if I fell from that tower for a reason? Osha tells him, Tells them all that they don't know anything, and she tells them about her man, Bruni, who turned into an ice zombie. She managed to stab him in the heart with little effect, and ultimately had to burn him inside their hut, and she left the north. She tells Bran she will not go further north than Castle Black. Oh, God, Natalia Tenna is so fucking fucking good. Yep. Right? She is very good. I've got to say... I didn't love this scene. I agree she's fantastic in it. Um, you know, it's very sad. It's very well acted. It didn't have a huge amount of emotional resonance for me. It kind of just came out of the blue a little bit. And whilst I like Osha, I like her character, I don't really, I'm not really that invested in her or her past or her love life. Oh, I don't um, even want to see her the, again. Yeah, I understand the purpose. They want to remind us of the White Walkers and whatnot. Um, just seemed a little Fillerish to me, but yes, very, very well acted. I agree. And George, oh, loved, I have George loved it. I, I love it because, you know, it kind of brings full circle, you know, what it is that drove Osha south of the wall. I mean, and, and, you know, it's, it's a good thing to revisit, obviously, like you said, you know, to remind people about the White Walkers and everything, but I felt like it was kind of, kind of finally giving, you know, full service to her character that they finally dug in and were like, oh no, she, she had to go south. Like the, it was, Kind of getting in the mind of a refugee. I I loved everything about it, especially with what we've seen from John's POV north of the wall. I really love this scene. I, it 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 definitely resonated with me. I think it's fabulous, and yeah. it makes me really excited to get her back with Rick. I can't in wait to season see her. Six. I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to her reappearance. You know who was amazing in this scene, and I I think we think his role is easy, Hi-yo. but Christian Nairn is amazing. Mm-hmm. His like just yeah. his listening and his little subtle horrors, like he's a freaking riot. He does manage <laughs> to actually express a variety of emotion with only one word and as you say his facial expressions he is I, I do think you're right I think people think that it's such an easy role and you know everyone jokes about the fact that oh it's you know you don't have to learn lines it's so easy to learn your lines and <laughs> but I think you're right I think there are some really inherent difficulties in in that kind of role I mean words make it much easier I think to get certain feelings and, and thoughts across. And he managed to do that with a very limited vocabulary and just his face. He understands everything that everyone's saying to him. I know you're super excited that we're uh, I know. going to see so a little excited. more Hodor. Uh, you guys just want to get Christian Nairn on podcast. <laughs> I see what you're doing. Lot. You should have taken advantage of that when you actually yeah. met him. I know, I know. But I mean, just Hodor, though. Yeah, I know. I talked about his penis, and I just didn't feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, like, you ruined the, it. You're like you ruined worse it. than Nikolai with celebrities, aren't you? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, okay. 
Uh, let's go on to the next scene. Um, Kyburn is treating Jamie's stump, and it seems like he's healing well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jamie notes, he's better than Maester Pycelle. I love this little dig that uh, Kyburn gets in. He says, this, faint. This is the beginning of Pycelle, guys. Yeah, faint <laughs> praise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, yes. Kyburn reveals his chains were taken because of curiosity. Jamie guesses he experimented on the living. Kyburn asks him how many men he's taken, and countless. He then asks, how many have you saved? And he kind of has a smug look about him, and then Jamie, without missing a beat, answers half a million, population of King's Landing. Jamie asks if he was able to get a message to Tarth. Selwyn offered 300 gold dragons. And uh, he says Locke won't take it. He's convinced Selwyn owns all the sapphire mines in Tarth. Kyburn suspects she'll be entertainment for Locke and his men, and then after that, well, it looks grim. Jamie looks like he's forgotten something, then tells the Bolton men he needs to go back to Harrenhal. I can stop here if you want to talk about any of that, because the next scene is pretty fucking so, awesome. Does anyone who's never been on the show or in the books get name checked more often than Selwyn Tarth? No, I only smell. Randall Tarley. Only Randall, Randall Tarley. Yeah. Well, Randall's been on the books. Mm. Oh, yeah, right, right. So I want to see like no. Selwyn Tarth roll in like sapphires dripping from everywhere. <laughs> 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 We're rich fuckers. <laughs> got like a vest made of sapphires. He's wearing a sapphire crown, and, and he's evil. super hot. <laughs> He's like super duper hot. (laughs) So I don't love the way that Jamie responds to the question about, you know, like how many of you saved? I feel like that's a very un-Jamie thing for him to say to someone like, like Kyburn that he doesn't know that well. Um, but other than that, I think this is a really good scene and I kind of love the, the amount of time that they spend developing Kyburn, even though obviously that has nothing to do with JB, but I kind of love that they really let the Kyburn character breathe so that by the time you get to season five, Kyburn is just, you know, perfectly poised to be really mm-hmm. good comic relief and also kind of a monster. It's really great. Yeah, um, I dig his, I dig this actor's portrayal of Kyburn yeah, a lot. He's awesome. And I've got to say, just be, briefly backtracking to what you initially said, Chicky, is, um, I think you're right. Like, Jamie, that, the whole thing that happened in King's Landing, he keeps that really close to his chest. So to just sort of blurt that out as a kind of, uh, I don't know, a means of winning an, uh, a stupid argument, it doesn't really read right to me. Just the fever. That. I mean, he'd say like, <laughs> fuck you, how many people have you saved? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's a, it's a really good scene. I mean, Obviously, we all love the fact that Jamie wants to go back to Harrenhal, and I mean, I, I like the way it plays out better in the books. Obviously, I mean, it's it's a lot more complex. It's based predominantly on Jamie's dream, which is kind yeah. of this swirl of barely formed subconscious impulse, I guess. But this isn't a bad motivation for his return either. And I was. A bit sad that the writers, and this might play into what Chicky was saying earlier, but I was a bit sad that the writers didn't highlight that Jamie was dying to get back to Cersei, like the way they did in the books, mm. you know, so by turning around, he's really making a, a, a sacrifice and in essence choosing Brienne over his sister. Um, but it's still a good scene. I do love how they kept in Jamie's line, um, or an approximation of it that he needs to return to Harren Hall because he left something behind. Was it his heart? I think it was. Heart. <laughs> 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 All right. And I, so, I do like yeah. that we got Steel Shanks, who I've always sort of loved. 
Oh god, me too. He's such uh, a shipper. He ships it. You know it. <laughs> you know he may say that it's all about returning Jamie safely to his father, but you know he ships it. <laughs> it's really about his heart. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that they completely just made this motivation be Jamie, you know, following basically his his better instincts or his mm. his more noble impulses and um yeah, I obviously don't love it as well as the dream, but you know, they were never going to do the dream and it's like oh, and what it else would they done? It's still a good saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and actually uh the commentary for this scene is quite interesting too. Um it's a it's George <laughs> in a very subtle way um they're talking about Jamie's character George and Michelle and George very subtly corrects Michelle's assessment of Jamie being uh a monster uh and then turning it like becoming a new person like the evolution of his mm. character Michelle sort of saying how he's you know a bit of a devil and then he becomes a new man uh, and George begins to talk about how this is kind of a function of the point of view structure of the books and how you know up until the storm of swords we've really only seen Jamie through the perspective of people who essentially loathe him and who don't <laughs> know him very well uh, and then in storm obviously we finally get to live in Jamie's head and we realize that He's a much more layered and a, a sympathetic character than you may initially assume from the first two books. And as George says, you know, he tries to write great characters. <laughs> it's not a simple fact of Jamie was evil and now he's not. Right. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, let's go on. So they arrive at Heron Hall. Uh, Jamie scrambles off his horse and runs towards the sound of men singing The Bear and the Maiden Fair. He gets to the top of the bear pit and inside is Bran with a wooden sword. Jamie tells Locke he'll pay her ransom. Locke responds with, go buy yourself a golden hand and fuck yourself with it. The bear swipes Brienne, breaking the sword and knocking her down. Jamie jumps in and pulls a resistant Brienne behind him. Um, the Bolton soldier shoots the bear with an arrow, much to the irritation of Locke. Brienne jumps on Jamie's back and is pulled up. Then she grabs him up from the bear pit. Locke tells Jamie the bitch stays. Jamie tells him she's going to King's Landing unless he kills him. Uh, and he also asks him, what do you think matters more to Bolton, giving his pet rat a reward or giving Tywin back his son alive? Jamie says, sorry about the sapphires, and they peace out. Mark uh, is so uh, great in this scene. I love him. <laughs> I love him. Like, <laughs> Noah Taylor, man. So I just love like his. This is a shameful fucking performance. Oh, <laughs> like, so great. There's like so much disappointment in his voice. It's just like yeah. I came to see a good show, and by God, you've let me down. Like, the delivery of his lines to stop running. <laughs> I I I burst into just. I just completely lose it every single time. It. We've only got one bear. You can almost like, obviously, you can almost like feel the spittle coming from his mouth with the delivery of his lines. He's so passionate. (laughs) Oh man, this scene. I mean, what can you say? I just wish. Go ahead. I'll tell you what I will say. I wish that we had gotten Locke or you know the Vargo Hote stand-in saying, "If you want her, go get her." I feel like it would have fit with Locke. I feel like it would have been perfect here. It was like a really big missed opportunity to me because it would have been, oh god, it could have happened. And 
there are really three big lines from the chapter that should have, well, I would have loved to have seen make it into this scene. Obviously, one couldn't because he didn't have the dream. But obviously, I dreamed of you. I would love to have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was, other than the you want her, go get her. So he did. Uh, the other one is, her name is Brienne, Jamie said. Brienne the maid of Tarth. You're still a maiden, I hope. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> she rescues maidens. Um, but yeah, I mean, this scene, man, I mean, it's incredible. It, I think it, more than any of the Jamie and Brienne scenes we've probably had this season up until now, this is a scene that really encapsulates, uh, I guess how Jamie behaves and feels in the books at this point where he's just so frantic to get to her. You know, he, in the books he's on his way back to Harrenhal, he really pushes his horse to ride faster to get to her. And then when they get to Harrenhal, he threatens to kick the gate down if they don't let him in. And then once he's in, he's so frantic to find her, he's like racing around. So we do get to see that here. Um, which I thought was yeah, adaptation. so well acted too. There's like some screenshots you can get of Nikolai as he's like, you're running up towards the sounds of the men's voices. Like it's yeah. just like the look on his face just kind of like breaks your heart. He's so worried. Yeah. Although I can't watch the scene without thinking of Rose Papillon slash Aaron's um, summaries. <laughs> like, like the bear slamming the side. I should be OTP. I should be. I always notice that it's like that his breeches are undone when he's lying on the ground at the end. I quite frequently think of her summaries when I'm watching the show now. <laughs> happens. Um, yeah. One of the things that I do love is the decision that they 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 took where they they had him help her out of the pit, but then she turns right back around and helps mm-hmm. him back out. And I actually really love that they did that. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a Jamie Brienne thing to do. You save me, I'll save you, you know. Yeah, they do. I mean, that's isn't that that's kind of like the essential core of them is that they're kind of saving each other and they're just a, a little team. Um, just like pretty woman. Oh. <laughs> do you know what else I noticed too? It's the way Gwendolyn played this one bit when um, Jamie tells Locke, you know, she's going to King's Landing unless you kill me. And, uh, Brienne or Gwendolyn, you could see her, like, start to get protective of him. I don't know if you noticed, like, she kind of moves in a little bit, like, ready to defend Jamie. I love that. I love, like, those little moments they're able to do. She does a really good job here, actually, with her expressions. I also love there's a little bit where she's looking at Locke and she just has this look of disgust on her face, but also a bit of defiance. Like, I think she does really well with her with her faces mm-hmm. in this scene. I've got to say, I was a little disappointed Brienne didn't, didn't just shove Locke into the bed. She could the snap I, him like a brittle twig, couldn't she? <laughs> she literally could have just pushed him. <laughs> just take him over her knee and snap him in half. Oh, the bear lived, which is kind of awesome. Like, I'm really right, the bear awesome dies in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure Locke was happy that the bear was still there. They've only got one, you know. Well, when we get our, when we get our, uh, Ronit moment, maybe we'll see a bear skeleton. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll just see like a bear, like running past in the background. (laughs) Chasing butterflies. (laughs) And I, I do love Jamie's last line, the lock. Like it's kind of him getting his mojo back a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's all yeah. sleepy and then, oh no, now he's an asshole again. Yay. <laughs> Sorry about the sapphires. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I love the music too that they use for this scene. You know, it, it, it is the Reigns of Castamere kind of Lannister type theme, but it's, 
it's triumphant as opposed mm-hmm. to like either scary or mournful as we've heard it before, which I kind of appreciate. It's kind of like a hero theme suddenly because of what Jamie yeah. just did. And I really love that. She's very, very apt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't actually finish listening to the commentary for this app. I didn't listen to it for this scene because <laughs> what's, what's the I spent <laughs> the entire time talking about Bart the bear, which clearly <laughs> is the main point of this scene. So it's understandable. Right. Well, from a production <laughs> element, I just, it was pretty a, a big deal, I bet. Yes, I did actually need to know that, you know, the bear <laughs> likes to eat cream. Um, we, all, <laughs> yes, we all know the damn bear has to eat his pan full of cream and <laughs> eat, uh, like country. Like, I know more about the bear than yes, I know about to each other about it, and we were just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, <laughs> Mention of Jamie and Brienne. <laughs> I feel like I feel like they were doing the commentary, and George like texted Michelle and was like, "Please don't ask me about Jamie and Brienne. I'm going to spoil I, the books. Please don't actually mention them I'm in the totally next scene." Them right now. <laughs> I want to believe that is because George was actually currently in the middle of writing a Jamie and Brienne sex scene for Wins, and he just didn't want to give anything away. <laughs> sex scene. <laughs> you are a hopeful creature, aren't you? So we he's <laughs> talked about writing the steamy sex scene. I mean, I know it won't be steamy because he's writing it, but, you know. Isn't our theory that George, for Wittons, has only written the, whatever, five or six chapters yeah. already released, plus the Jamie Embryon sex scene, which goes for four chapters? Yeah. <laughs> Jamie okay. wants <laughs> just pick up mid-stroke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I think that'll be an ending to this uh, overview of the episode. Uh, season six update news is what I have written down. Do we have any that you guys want to go over? Well, we know how long Jamie's going to be in King's Landing, at least. Like, how, yeah. Unless how he like goes for a trip and then comes back. I'm pretty much unsullied, so talk to me like I'm five. <laughs> It looks like well, he's it, there. Um, they're filming a scene for episode six tomorrow where he is rescuing Marge, apparently, from the sept. Which, um, yes, and apparently Tommen is there as well. Um, the High Sparrow and, and the Terrell soldiers. And I think yeah. the party. Folks. Yeah, it's a total party. So, yeah, Jamie's rescuing Marge. Uh, he's he's, he's mm. her uh, knight in charming, shining armor. I've got to say, I read a comment in relation to this news on Watchers on the Wall. It was the best comment I've seen in a while, which was, I thought Jamie only rescues maidens. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So I'll say it then. Normally, I only rescue maidens. <laughs> for you, for Tom, and I'll make an exception. Yeah. So this has to be defying what Cersei wants too. So this could I be mean, the beginning of the rift for real. Hopefully, well, it's either the beginning or they're already. I presume that when he gets back, there'll already be a lot of hostility between them. I imagine yeah. it's just be maybe even the nail in the coffin. Yeah, let's hope for that. That would be great. I mean, Six honestly, episodes. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I kind of expected kind of. that. Into King's Landing. I mean, how many scenes are we going to get there? It may be just a few, I guess. So, well, let's just be happy he's in King's Landing and not Dorne for six episodes <laughs> or Point. more. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> Maybe Dor- King's Landing is the new Dorne. Oh. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not, not King- super surprised that he's in King's Landing for this long. I mean, I think it probably will make sense with what they're doing, but. 
we do know he does get to the Riverlands eventually, so maybe the last, you know, two or three episodes, that's yeah. what it'll be. Yeah. Cool. Okay, those assholes have a cliffhanger in episode 10. I'm not kidding. Dude, Which, like, I'm I know up. they will. Do you mean, like, if they pause at mid-thrust? Well, that is... That's <laughs> not really a cliffhanger. I would know what would happen next. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, okay, um... Do we do have you any the question, Lord? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do a question. All right, I've got just a, I've got a brief one. I think that will uh, shouldn't take too much time to address. Uh, and this was from an anon, I think, sent via Tumblr. And the question is: Do you think Podrick would ship Jamie and Brienne? <laughs> Thoughts? Mm. He's eleven. Uh, well, I think should we go with show Podrick? I was going to say, does. Does, does Book Podrick even know that there is a Jamie and Brienne? I mean, he's never well, seen I them together. He probably, so he would have well, but he's heard her moaning. Yeah, he did. He's heard her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, true, God. he's heard her moaning his name <laughs> frequently. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they Good got point. a point. <laughs> I think, so, I think show Podrick obviously must ship Jamie and Brienne because he was there for the goodbye in Oathkeeper, and so how could he not? I, how could you say that? I don't know. Right. How could right. you see? How could you watch that and then just be like, yeah? Can't be indifferent after saying that. Well, Bron, you know, but Bron has no soul, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, show pod, we're pretty much, yes. Book pod, sure. bit of gray area. Okay. <laughs> I think book pod, no, because he's an 11 year old boy and 11 year old <laughs> boys don't really think that much about romance and sappy stuff. <laughs> But it's his mom, basically, and he'd want his mom to, like, bring him a new daddy. Would like, aren't most kids resistant to the idea of a step-parent? <laughs> but if you've been, like, orphaned your whole life. Uh, he just wants a home, is that what you're saying? Yeah, he told, he's like little orphan pod. Do you think they'll get a puppy? Oh. Do I think he'll get what? They'll get a puppy? No, he'll get a kitten. Of course. Okay, I'm glad we're agreed on this. Let's go on to the thank yous. <laughs> All right, um, yeah, we do have a couple. Um, we got one message on Tumblr from Joyous Follies, who is Jess. Uh, and she says, Thank you so much for the latest Season 6 update episode. I can only imagine the amount of time and effort it took to gather all of those spoilers. I've been trying to keep up with all of it myself, and it's pretty impossible. Listening to all of the news and speculation in one fell swoop is so helpful. I don't know what I'd do without you guys. And then she Aww. says, Godo, your question was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Quoting Plutho, I humped this question. All of, <laughs> <laughs> all of your responses made me laugh so much I got the hiccups. I love me some rowdy. Love you all. Oh, it's very sweet, Aww. Jess. Thank you. And the other one came in via email from Kathy. Uh, she says, I really enjoyed your season six spoiler roundups. I thought I had been keeping up with the news from Watchers on the Wall, but I got some new tidbits from y'all. Sorry, Yon, I can't do that. From y'all. <laughs> Australian y'all. <laughs> Something special right there, y'all. folks. <laughs> um, and of course, even old news is made more interesting by your perspicacious insights. Good word. Perspicacious. Uh, humor and knowledgeable appreciation of A Song of Ice and Fire. He's hoping that all our best wishes for season six come true. Thanks, Kathy. That was wow, really lovely. Thank story. you. That's awesome. And that's 
Awesome. Okay, so before I wrap it up here, uh, just an announcement, a reminder that we're going to be doing the fanfic episode soon. Um, so if you could send in any questions that you might have um, regarding fanfic in general or some of the authors that will be on the panel. Those are Cora Lee, Kama, Guile, Stay Seated, and myself. So all questions welcome for that episode before September 21st, if you can. And this is the year 2015, if you are listening to this, I don't know, six, seven years later or whatever. <laughs> don't send us your questions. Yeah, be like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Remember when I did that really embarrassing fan fiction episode? Shit, I'm still getting mail for that. <laughs> it's year 2070 and Wims just came out. <laughs> oh, God. So you can send us your messages at close the door and at gmail.com. Uh, close the door and come here. Tumblr.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please like and review us on iTunes and support us on Patreon at close the door forward slash Patreon.com. Thank you, panel. Thank you, Glam. It's a fun episode. Thank you, moderator. Thank You're you. You're welcome. All right. I'll see you guys later. Probably in Bye, talking everybody. to you in about a minute. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See ya.